The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. If all we learn in our seven weeks together is that the body is a a beautiful and trustworthy, wholesome place for the attention or, or the awareness to abide, that would be nice. Just just that much would be really nice. I was reading this article by Gil Fronstall earlier today, and I'll send it with the email that I'll send tomorrow. Um, it's a very short and nice article, and uh, something he did when he first went to Asia to practice is he did a retreat with Ajahn Buddha Dasa in the southern Thailand. And um, one of the things he would say at the beginning of the 10-day retreats there is, don't do anything that takes you out of your body. And that's something we can practice for, or for the rest of our lives, but in particular for this course. Instead of like figuring out what the body is, just more, more and more directly staying in tune with the body. And like I mentioned in the guided sit, the telltale sign that you're doing that will be the arising of calm. And it's not because the body is essentially calm. You know, the body's like the mind. It can be crazy or wild or it can be really stable and steady and beautiful. But the reason that we begin to experience calm is when we bring the attention to the body, we're healing that relationship, the mind's relationship as it knows the body. And that relationship becomes really beautiful or harmonious in the same way that our relationship with our partner or our cat or our friend can either be really not harmonious or harmonious. So when we bring the attention to the body and we open, we relate to the body with interest and fearlessness and patience, not trying to impose or project. Instead, we're letting the body present itself, that flow of sensation. That relationship is beautiful and it began, the beginning stages, we feel it as a sense of calm. And then it matures to a sense of joy and a sense of ease, a kind of a relaxation of the heart and peace and stillness. And this is just really the beginning of working with the body. And even though, obviously, when we're in our busy days, you know, we'll be sort of there in a moment in the body and then not there, not there, not there, and then there in a moment. But those little moments of coming back, re-inhabiting the body, resting in the experience of embodiment, it, it builds a momentum. It changes the habit of being disembodied or having an aversive relationship to the body or a numb, closed-down relationship to the body or a controlling, judging relationship to the body. So tonight what I'd like to do is uh, 
share a little bit of the discourse that the teachings of mindfulness of body come out of. There's a couple main discourses the Buddha gave about mindfulness of the body. One of them is the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. This is the the direct path for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for the attainment of the right method, and for the realization of unbinding. In other words, the four frames of reference, or the four foundations of mindfulness. Which four? So then the Buddha goes through each four. Mindfulness of body, mindfulness of the feeling tone, mindfulness of the mind, and mindfulness of these particular maps that the Buddha taught to help us understand our experience. And full awakening, seeing what the mind needs to see to be free, can happen anywhere with any of these. So you don't need to like do the whole curriculum. The mind just needs to stop struggling, grasping. And uh, so... If you take up one part of the curriculum and you're still grasping, well, then take up another part of the curriculum until you've taken up the whole curriculum and then start over again. See, it sounds like the Buddhist studies class, right? Six years you go through, and those of us who are not yet fully awakened, we start it again, and then again, and again. And I'm guessing, you know, maybe if I stay healthy or somebody stays healthy, we'll be doing this for a long time. And maybe every once in a while... There will be at least moments of full awakening, and then that will get lost. Or maybe it would be nice to have some homegrown, fully awakened Minnesota people. <laughs> and so the, the curriculum, it, it's like this is the great thing about this array of skillful means that we've been studying and that we'll study with this course too. And some of it will be just the right medicine at the right time for you, and others won't, but that's okay, because it will go on some kind of shelf in your heart and mind, and you'll, you'll be surprised how that information and any intuition you have with that information can reemerge in surprising ways. Like, that it will just reappear in your mind, and in that moment really clarify your direct experience. Like that will be the right information that will help your mind be intimate with the experience that's arising for you. Even though you didn't necessarily understand the information when you heard it or when you reflected on it, that it sort of sits there waiting until the mind really gets the connection like a puzzle. Oh, this piece goes here. This sort of perspective will really help me see what I'm not seeing in this moment. And then there's a little awakening. The mind sees what it hasn't seen before or understands what it didn't understand before about the nature of the mind or the nature of the body. So in terms of the body then, the Buddha says, and I won't go through all of it because we have seven weeks, but I'll go through the first part where the Buddha talks about breath. So just to give you an overview, there are six parts in this first foundation. So there are four foundations, four areas, or four um, ways to develop mindfulness with the body, with the feeling tone, with the mind, or the shape of the mind, the quality of mind, qualities of mind, and with these particular, you could say, training maps that the Buddha offered. 
So now this course, we're just talking about mindfulness of the body. And in that section, the Buddha gives six meditations, you could say. But these meditations are fine for daily life practice as well as for your formal sitting practice. So just because they're meditations, don't think you can only do it when you're sitting still, not bothered by anything. You can do it all day long, really. And the first is mindfulness of breathing. The second is mindfulness of the four postures. So when you're standing, you know you're standing. When you're sitting, you know you're sitting. When you're walking, you know you're walking. And when you're lying down, you're mindful of lying down. And then the third is mindfulness of daily activities. The fourth is mindfulness of the anatomical parts, which is uh, sort of like giving your mind a different image of the body. So it's still a conceptual image. You know, you got your nails, you got your skin, you got your organs, you got your bones, you got your blood and other fluids. But that idea, right, that's an image or an idea that my mind can have, that can get inserted in my mind and replace this idea that, oh, no, no, my body's this whole solid thing that's all dressed up. It looks pretty good when I look in the mirror. As long as I don't look too close, Right? And just stop at the surface. <laughs> so that's the uh, fourth. And then the fifth is mindfulness the, of the four elements. So we're, it's a deconstruction, another way of deconstructing the body where we notice the um, actual sensations. And I, I don't want to go into it now because it will take too long, but we'll spend a good week and maybe two weeks on the elements. And then the sixth is mindfulness of the decay. Like, whatever this is, you know, the natural trajectory is the body begins to fall apart after a certain number of years. And then upon death, it starts to really fall apart in a way that stinks, literally. (laughs) And so contemplating that removes from the mind, again, you sort of were inserting this information, and it removes from the mind this delusion that it's not going to happen to me. It happens, yeah, sure, intellectually we know it happens, but somehow it doesn't occur to us that, no, no, this is a body that's going to fall apart and rot, and you know, unless we burn it right away. But one way or another, it's going to return to dust. And that's just really powerful, because I mean, it's really surprising how shocking that is <laughs> when it's so obvious that that's true. So this is a contemplation that we'll talk about and that the Buddha suggests that we do. But in terms of mindfulness of the breath, the Buddha says, and how does a practitioner remain focused on the body in and of itself? There is a case where a practitioner, having gone to the wilderness, to the shade of a tree or an empty building, sits down, folding one's leg, legs crosswise or sitting in a chair holding one's body upright and setting mindfulness to the fore, like right here. Always mindful, one breathes in. Mindful, one breathes out. Breathing in a long breath, one discerns one is breathing in long. Or breathing out a long breath, one discerns that one is breathing out long. Or breathing in a short breath, one discerns that one is breathing in short. Or breathing out short, one discerns that one is breathing out short. Right? So there's enough alertness. We're not just sort of theoretically knowing that breathing's happening. 
there's enough clarity, enough comprehension of the actual experience of breathing in and out that the mind would be able to pass a quiz. Now, was that last out-breath relatively long or relatively short? Relatively smooth or erratic? Right? Because how else do we know we're awake, the mind is awake, if it's not comprehending the actual characteristic of that particular outbreath or inbreath. That's the threshold. We're not really mindful. And this is actually more important than it might seem because very quickly, if we're not careful, we'll replace the activity of being aware of the in-breath, being aware of the out-breath with an idea I'm watching my breath. I'm being mindful of my breath. And so there's an idea in the mind that's either relatively stable or not so stable, but basically said, yeah, I'm watching my breath. And so it seems like we're watching my breath because there there's that thought that gets repeated. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm watching my breath. But that's a thought. I'm watching my breath. That's not the actual direct, immediate comprehension of the sensations of breathing in and the sensations of breathing out. That's a different experience. And that's why we train. It's, we have to develop that habit of being with an inhalation so that the mind is actually comprehending what that's like. And then with the out-breath, so the mind is actually comprehending the physicality of the out-breath. So it actually knows, oh, that was like that. It's remembering to know. And then when that uh, has, when we're able to do that to some degree, the Buddha says, one trains oneself to breathe in sensitive to the entire body and to breathe out sensitive to the entire body. Right? So first, we're just seeing if we can show up and actually comprehend something that's very ordinary and simple, which means... I mean, it's surprising how hard that is because that means we have to put down whatever else the mind would be in the habit of doing, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about what happened today, wondering if I'm doing the practice right. We can't be wondering if we're doing the practice right and actually comprehending that next in-breath or out-breath. We basically can't be doing anything else but showing up, comprehending the breath. And then once we have some continuity, comprehending the in-breath, comprehending the out-breath, comprehending the in-breath, then it just, it's a matter of relaxing because, as I mentioned in the guided sit, all of the other sensations are already right there. Like, there's really no distance between feeling the touching at your nostrils or feeling your belly rising with the in-breath and all of the other sensations. Because where are are all those sensations. They're just in the mind, in the heart. Right? That's where they're being known. So the next instruction where the Buddha says, uh, one trains oneself to breathe in sensitive to the entire body. So right there, we're still aware of breathing in. The in-breath is like this. We're comprehending the in-breath, but we're not, we're not imposing like an artificial boundary that I'm only interested in the in comprehending the sensations of the in-breath. 
So as the mind relaxes, we can comprehend the whole experience of the body because it's right there. It's actually less stressful to have whole body awareness as we breathe in, comprehending the whole body, sensitive to the whole body as we breathe out. It's a more natural and healing way to be, which is why, as I mentioned, it leads to calm, which is the next instruction. The Buddha says, one trains oneself. And you see, the Buddha, that's that phrase, one trains oneself, right? It's not our habit to be aware of the whole body. It's our habit to think we should pay attention to something. There's something important. But now, what we're really interested in is, is here and now. We're interested in the whole, right? Because what are we really doing? What's the purpose? Why are we taking the Buddhist studies class? We want to be free, right? And we have some intuition that being more alive, more free, more happy, more loving, more skillful is a a result of waking up. But it's not like we know we're waking up to. We know it's here and now. That's all we know. So it has to be this inclusive, all-inclusive, right? So even though we initially stabilize by just, like we have to break the habit of thinking all the time, so we give ourselves something relatively easy to show up 100% for, like that in-breath, then the next out-breath. And then we relax and we feel the whole body, sensitive to the whole body, sensitive to the whole body with the out-breath. And then the Buddha says, honey, <laughs> train yourself when breathing in to calm uh Train oneself to breathe in calming bodily fabrication and to breathe out calming bodily fabrication. So basically, because we're learning to be sensitive to the whole body and sensitive to the whole body as we breathe out, that means, and we're learning to do that more and more continuously and wholeheartedly, that means we're calming any fabrications, any ideas any judgments, any reactions the mind habitually has to the experience of the body, right? So that's that healing that I was talking about. That healing leads into calm. That's why it's the one thing you can use for a barometer. Like in terms of mindfulness of body, when you have continuity of mindfulness of body, there is a very real immediate and eventually obvious experience of calm. It's a the healing of the relationship of the body and mind. It feels good. And in a way, it's unmistakable. But if you try to have that, it won't work. You have to just follow the program. So find a tree <laughs> or go to the wilderness or, I'll add a word, a relatively empty building, <laughs> right? An uncluttered space in your apartment. Sit down, folding your legs or sitting upright in a chair. Bring mindfulness to the fore. And while breathing in, clearly aware that you're breathing in. Clearly aware enough to know whether it's a long in-breath or a short in-breath. 
Same with the out-breath. And with some steadiness, some continuity of being able to comprehend, be there for the in-breath, for the out-breath, from the beginning of the in-breath to the end, from the beginning of the out-breath to the end, then let the awareness relax so that it includes, is sensitive to the whole body as you breathe in. You're still aware of the in and out breath. In this sort of training, if when you do the mindfulness of breathing, you don't really ever have to stop. Even when you're contemplating the full release, awakening of the heart, breathing in, knowing the awakening, breathing out, knowing the awakening, there is no reason to ever lose that awareness of the breath, that sort of great, it's like the great rhythm. So whole body, and then notice the calming, calming the fabrications. The mind is allowing everything that's extra, everything that's constructed about the body to go away because there's no room for it as the body becomes more whole, wholly there with the body, wholly aware of the body, then literally there's no room in the mind to have an opinion about the body or to be reacting to the body or to be wanting the body sensations to be different than they are. Because that would have to be a thought. I don't like this. Oh, I want that. I want it to feel like it did yesterday when I was meditating. You see, when that thought is there in the mind, then the mind isn't breathing in, aware of the whole body, breathing out, aware of the whole body. That has been interrupted. So we we intentionally um, agree with ourselves or commit to ourselves to be willing to train the mind in releasing, relaxing all of the bodily fabric fabrication, which is the same as that experience of calm. And so he gives an image. He says, one trains, um, just as a skilled turner or one's apprentice. So I think this is like a old lathe, you know, whether like a carpenter or somebody might use something spinning when making a long turn, discerns that one is making a long turn. And when making a short turn, discerns that one is making a short turn. In the same way, a practitioner, when breathing in long, discerns one is breathing in long. Or breathing out short, one discerns one is breathing out short. One trains oneself to breathe in calming bodily fabrications and breathe out calming bodily fabrications. So in the same way that we would do anything with a lot of presence, really there. You know, and when you look around in the world, in these little pockets, people have amazing competencies, right? It's so impressive when you see a great musician or a, you know, a great athlete or a great artist doing something or a mother who just has a lot of skill in handling their child's um, emotions. Well, we can have we can cultivate that same great skill with this present moment awareness using the body but you see it requires a, a change of allegiance like we're so sure that thinking about our life or thinking about something is what we should be doing now 
So to be giving ourselves wholeheartedly to something that seems ordinary and really not relevant to what's important. But if we're interested in understanding the mind, we have to uh, break free of the content, the sort of addiction we have to the content that our mind constructs. And then I'll just read this pass, one more passage here because this will guide us not just with the mindfulness of breathing practice but all the way through. In fact, this particular passage, as many of you know, gets repeated 13 times in this discourse. And it's basically the Buddha is going through the three stages of mindfulness. And this will be one of the articles. Um, Ajahn Tanisaro or Tanisaro Bhikkhu is... Uh, notes about these three stages, which is just one passage in this discourse. So the Buddha says, in this way one remains focused internally on the body in and of itself, or externally on the body in and of itself, or both internally and externally on the body in and of itself. So here, the body, the breath, in and of itself. And so he breaks it down earlier in this discourse that when you know something in and of itself, that means the mind, the heart is ardent, it's alert, it's mindful. So ardent has this quality from information about effort, like wholehearted. Ardent has that flavor of wholeheartedness. I care. When we're ardent, we care. We care about this, right? We we care about it because we what? We want to be skillful. We want to be free from suffering. So it's really important to be in tune with why you're doing this practice. Because without it we won't be ardent. We'll just be doing it because our friends do it or whatever. So we need to connect not just when we sit down, but all the way through the practice. We have to have that Uh, appropriate motivation so that we're ardent. Alert means that this quality of comprehension, like I want to comprehend what's going on. So not superficial. And mindful means the more technical, like we use mindfulness really to refer to the whole path of awakening because it just sounds, you know, doesn't, threaten people when we say, yeah, I'm practicing mindfulness. If you tell people, I'm walking this path of awakening, <laughs> who knows what they do, but you might make them feel uncomfortable. But if you say, I'm just interested in being more mindful in life, they'll say, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, someday I'll get around to that too. So, But technically, more technically, mindfulness means knowing what is relevant to keep in mind in this moment. Because there are many objects of experience, or many aspects of experience that we could be paying attention to. And if we're wishy-washy or superficial, you know, jumping around, then we won't get any benefit from the practice. So we're ardent, that kind of wholeheartedness, because I care about this life. I don't want to always 
be doing what I've always done, always relating in the ways I've always related, always having the same results I had. Imagine if we went through life with as much wisdom as we had as a 14-year-old. I mean, maybe that's true for some of us. Maybe we're not as wise as we were as a 14-year-old. That would be really disappointing, right? I mean, because life for most of us is challenging a lot of the time. And so it'd be nice um, that there's some trajectory that with the different challenges in life, there's, there's some sense of learning, being more free, more skillful, more uh, liberated, so not pushed around by what comes and goes in life, the pleasant and unpleasant circumstances of life. So ardent, alert, comprehending, mindful, keeping, tracking what's relevant, not forgetting what's relevant in the moment. And so, right now, we don't really know what's relevant, so let's just take up the Buddhist instructions. He's telling us exactly what's relevant, like, Pay attention, know the breath, know whether it's long or short. When you get that, be set, train yourself to be sensitive to the whole body as you breathe in and out. If you're really good at that, train yourself to calm the bodily fabrications, to let go of needing any concept, any idea about what you're doing or your body, any opinion about your body. Like You don't need that. You can be just sensitive to the whole body. You don't need any fabrication there, any construction of the mind. And you'll know that because it will feel good. And so the first step is just to do that uh, with some freedom from some distance or some liberation from our concepts. And then when there's some distance, when the idea of the breath isn't dominating the mind, then we can take up the second stage of mindfulness. So the first stage is just to be with the breath, with the body, closely, immediately enough, so the mind has some space from the imprisonment of its ideas about things. Right, And you will feel that. It will feel different. It will be like an altered state when our mind isn't imprisoned by our opinion about what we're doing right now and whether it has value or not. And then the Buddha says, so then while you're in that more immediate, direct, moment-to-moment awareness of your body, breath and body, then the Buddha says, one remains focused on the phenomenon, phenomenon of origination or arising with regard to the body or the phenomenon of passing away in regards to the body. So now the the sort of that's code and uh, this article that you can read that's just a couple pages or what I'm going to say, the way to interpret that code, so you've got some steadiness, some continuity of awareness and now the Buddhist is saying, no, don't waste this moment. There's something that you can do in this moment that will be of real value. Because now that you have some continuity of awareness with nature, with phenomena as it actually is, it just happens to be the body and the breath in the body, but it could be anything. But this is our particular training ground using bodily sensations. Now you can notice something like 
suffering and the end of suffering, right? Which is what we're actually interested in because we're ardent, we care about this life, right? So now we're in a position to learn something. We've got this little microcosm called the body in and of itself or the breath in and of itself, this natural phenomenon. And in a way, it's a microcosm, but it represents the whole of our existence. It's just that we're looking at our existence in one particular place. And as we're opening to it, feeling the body, aware of the body breathing in, aware of the body breathing out, we notice at times that it's hard to bear. And at other times, it's not hard to bear at all. And because we're watching things coming and going, we're watching reality in a continuous way, we're seeing that things are unfolding lawfully. So when there we are being mindful of the breath and the body and it gets hard to bear, well, that suffering, that stress, the mind, heart, body being bound up, that just didn't happen. It happened lawfully. And because there was the continuity of awareness, we see, oh, my mind was getting greedy. You know, I was starting to feel some calm. And then I started thinking about going on a three-month retreat and really being done with my practice once and for all. And and then wondering where would be a good neighborhood to open a center in Minneapolis and or whatever. You know, you would do, or just the opposite. You're like, why my practice is going so badly? But one way or another, we get bound up. But because there's some continuity, we see it. We see, there's a little comprehension. Or when the mind, when the attitude is like this, when the point of view is like this, things get really entangled, things get really heavy, things become hard to bear. That's what the Buddha means by noticing the arising and ceasing. Because of all the things that come and go, what's the most relevant thing that comes and goes in our experience? Stress. Is there anything we're more interested in than stress and the release of stress? I mean, that's what I'm interested in. So we've created this beautiful little place to observe that because it doesn't have much interference. There's enough steadiness of seeing things in and of themselves that whenever the mind starts to get bound up, it shows up on the radar screen. And whenever that bound upness gets released, it shows up because the mind is comprehending moment to moment. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. That's the second stage of mindfulness practice. You, we're basically, as an ego still, we're learning, like, because I care, I'm ardent, and I'm alert, and I'm mindful, I know what to pay attention to. Right now, the Buddha is saying, pay attention to what's coming and going. What is arising lawfully? What is ceasing lawfully as experience unfolds? So as I'm comprehending that, as I'm learning stuff about what leads to the entanglement and the disentanglement of my mind, the third stage of practice begins to open up. Because what we're learning over time, now this is maybe decades of time, we're learning that the grosser the level of the mind's participation in things coming and going, the more stress there is. And the more subtle the mind's participation in things coming and going, the less stress there is. 
Get that? Now, you think, well, gosh, I got the information. Why do I have to comprehend it? Because there's no way to stop participating in the moment without going through the work of actually seeing it and the great depth of our experience. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like if I could just let everything happen on its own, it would be such a relief. But can you just let everything happen on its own in your life? No. It's like there's some things... um, you know, even even games like ping pong or pool or dating or, you know, those things. We know, we know, I just got to relax. But even though we know we just need to relax, we can't. We don't know how. And so we have to see it over and over again. It has to dawn on the mind in the, the great intimacy of our experience that freedom comes from teasing out how the ego is participating. And so the third stage of mindfulness is to sustain awareness enough to know it's like this. That's the only intervention. We're not trying to be skillful. We're just sustaining awareness and letting everything happen. But you can't just go to that. First, you have to break the cycle of being caught in our concepts about this and that by developing enough continuity of the breath and body in and of itself. Not the breath or body in terms of my ideas of the breath and body, but as a physical phenomenon with some continuity. And then when we break the spell of our our thoughts and ideas, there still may be thoughts of our ideas, but now the mind is less confused by them. They're sort of more on the periphery. Then with the continuity, we notice that things come and go. And because we have mindfulness, mindfulness tracks what's most relevant. So we're tracking how stress comes and goes. We're still aware of the breath coming in, the breath going out. We're still aware, sensitive to the whole body as we breathe in. And breathe out. We're sensitive to the calm in the body. But all that is happening. The mind is aware of that. Because it's all happening in the present moment. As well as stress arising and ceasing. Is happening in the present moment. And that's what mindfulness gets interested in. Suffering and the end of suffering. That was the first talk the Buddha gave. Suffering and the end of suffering. Now you can't really do this level of practice unless you've got some continuity of awareness. So if you can't do this practice, then go back to the early instructions while breathing in. Notice, see if you can comprehend, is this a short breath or a long breath? Is the mind capable of actually noticing the quality of this inhalation or this exhalation as it actually is? And then the next in-breath or out-breath, and then the next. So you've got to go back until things settle down. And you can really see, because stress is a more subtle phenomena, and it's coming and going is even more subtle still. But when you can see that, and you just keep noticing how things get bound up, oh yeah, and you're just connecting the dots. Oh yeah, the mind started to see things in this way, started to interpret experience in this way, started to have a, an opinion, an agenda, started to get controlling, tried to hold on to something, Try to push something away, and now 
it's experiencing the karmic fruit of that view or that attitude in the mind, and it feels like this. Oh, that's how it works. So even though we might have made a mistake, we've learned, the mind has learned something. Yeah, that hurts. That doesn't help. And then the mind going forward is the mind that has seen it. So it's a little wiser, a little bit more skillful. And the more skill we have, again, we see that a lighter touch is better than a heavier touch. And little by little, the mind, the sort of ego-based mind, the conditioned mind, learns how to disengage from the natural coming and going of all things. And that's how awakening arises. Awareness realizes not only that everything is happening on its own, but that it's okay to let that be. There's nothing that needs to be added or taken away from that. So those are the three stages. And the Buddha repeats that 13 times. So these three stages might actually be relevant. <laughs> so this uh, article, you might want to like learn these three stages. Learn how to give you or yourself these instructions for these three stages. Because it's not just true with mindfulness of the breath or mindfulness of the body or the postures or any of the other ways that we practice being present in life. It's really with everything. That initially we're going from our concepts and thoughts about things to more direct and immediate awareness with some continuity. And then we notice we have this capacity now to be aware of being skillful and unskillful in a way that we couldn't before. It's not enough for me to think, like, am I being skillful or not skillful right now? I actually have to see what attitude is there in my mind right now and see what, like if I'm self-conscious, so I'd have to be able to see the self-consciousness as a pattern, an emotional pattern, and I'd have to notice what it's setting in motion, like then how I'm using my voice and my body language and you know what are the choices I'm making, and then what that sets in motion. What is the karmic fruit of acting out self-consciousness? So the mind has to be, the mindfulness has to be pretty strong to really see how suffering gets set in motion and how unwholesome patterns, when dropped, when abandoned, how things loosen up, lighten up in our lives. I mean, we get there with hindsight, right? Like if you had a beautiful or difficult interaction earlier today and you're sitting now in the evening and you think back, God, why, why was that so stressful? I mean, it's the great thing about memory. You know, you can go if pretty much blow by blow, moment by moment. You can kind of remember the attitude you had. Oh, yeah, she said that. I got really defensive. I wanted to hit back. So I said this thing in this tone of voice and then that and then. And now I feel, now my heart feels like this. So we, we can kind of see. And, th- and there's some learning there, just doing that in hindsight. That's much better than not doing anything. But if we could be there right in the moment, it would be even more powerful. So next week we have uh, Dr.
Dharma Corps will be here. So we're going to miss our small groups next week. I don't think we'll be able to do small groups just in this room. But I'll, I'll think of something we can do next week to, so we can have, maybe do, we'll just do some dyads um, during the last half of the class with some questions. And I'll just, before we have just a couple minutes left, I'll just um, give you a few of those now. Um, and maybe one or two of you can respond. But <clears throat> just some things to reflect on. Again, you can do this all day long. Like, And I mentioned this in the guide. It said, what's the difference between the body and awareness? Or bodily sensations and awareness? Now, don't look for an answer to that question. But it, it will help you, help bring the mind into the experience. So like... We all have an experience of the body sitting right now. So what's the difference between like the hardness of my seat against the bench or your seat against the cushioner chair and the awareness? What's awareness? What's sensation? And again, don't look for an answer. Just hold the question. And as we feel the body, either one particular sensation in the body or the whole body, is the body a thing? Is it a process? You know, in what way is this body a concept, an idea? And in what way right now is the body a changing or an unfolding process. And you should, you want to learn to go back and forth because for sure, a lot of the time, body is a concept. It's like we have an image, a mental image, right? Because concepts can be an image, image-based, or it can be language-based, you know. But to be able to go back and forth, like between the body in and of itself, and the idea or image we have about my body or this body now. Because that will really help with that first stage of mindfulness. To know like, oh yeah, this is what it is to have a concept and then this is... And it's like two parallel universes. We say the one, the sensation, the level of sensation not affected by concept, that's what we mean by Dhamma, the way it is. It's experience or this moment or this experience being known where it's not affected by thought. And if there's a thought, then just the thought being known. So the content of the thought isn't affecting the experience. So to be... Because we don't want to be against the world of concept or the reality of concepts, conceptual reality. It's just the reality. It's quite functional. It's useful, especially in terms of living in community. You know, that's how we kind of grease the wheel of social existence through concepts. It's the world we share, actually, right? But we want to, we don't want to be confused by it. So go back and forth, you know, while you're sitting in the bus, when you're at work and you're supposed to be working, you know, body, concept. You know, direct experience, Dhamma, the way it is. The image or picture or idea I have about my body.
whatever that is. And then the last thing you might just play with this week is um, when you're relating to the body, either the concept of the body or sensations or a little bit of both, right? Because the mind's very quick. And one thing you'll notice is you're kind of like, well, no, they're both there. But it's because you're going back and forth. It's like aware of the sensations. And because of habit, being with the sensations triggers your thoughts. Now we're training the mind that the thought should trigger the attention, the mindfulness to know what to pay attention to, right? Because that technical meaning of mindfulness is to know what's relevant. So sensations in and of themselves. And so another thing to play with is like when is the mind adding something that's not skillful, that's sort of setting emotion stressful reverberation around the body, like a judgment or a fear or not wanting to be intimate with it, not wanting to be connected. What are the lessons you're learning as you watch the unfoldingness of the body, which is always going to involve a mind that's knowing the body, and almost all the time that mind is going to be seeing the body through filters, and some of those filters are going to be skillful, meaning they're not going to be creating stress. And some of those filters through which we know the body, they're going to be unskillful. It means they're setting emotion stress, right? So what are you learning? Because that would be really nice to share in the small groups or the dyads next week, is what patterns are you noticing as you're aware of your body and the habitual filters you use to be aware of your body and what reverberation or what kind of stress or absence of stress is uh, arising when you're relating to your body. Okay? So remember, if you didn't get an email from me, send me an email, and I'll send an email out to everybody tomorrow morning. And so don't feel like you have to read everything I'm sending out. Some of you have more time or more interest. Um, and I generally will let you know what I think are the more relevant articles if you don't have time to read all of them. Some of it is more for background, and some of them will be really useful in terms of um, some of the conversations we'll be having in the big group. And we'll have lots of time for discussion, small group and large group next week, but I wanted to sort of introduce the topic tonight. So let's just sit for a few seconds, let go of the words. enough time for one or two breaths. Thanks, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.